Well, good morning. Welcome to Calvary Baptist Church. My name is Jenny, and I serve as a children's minister here. We are so glad to have you here with us this morning. If you are new to Calvary, a special welcome to you. We are so glad to have you and hope to get to know you better. One way we can connect with you is if you would fill out the visitor card that looks like this in the pew in front of you. We would be glad to have the opportunity to follow up with you by email or phone, and we would also love to meet you after the service if we haven't met you already. The visitor card is also how you can let us know if you would like to know more about our ministries or if you have a prayer concern you want to share. Later on in the service, there will be an opportunity to place those filled out cards in the offering plate. You will also need a couple of things to navigate today's worship service. You'll need a worship folder that looks like this. They're outside the sanctuary on a table if you need one. And also one of the blue hymnals in front of you. Today we continue to reflect on how God is near and how we can follow him in each of the various stages of our lives. Friends, from the time we are born to the time that we take our final breath, God is moving in our lives. In times when God feels close and in times when he feels far away, in our joy and in our pain, in all that life brings, we have a loving Savior who wants to guide us every step of the way. Maybe your prayer this morning is like the old familiar hymn we will sing together shortly, Be Thou My Vision, O Lord of My Heart. Or maybe your prayer sounds more like Moses' question to God of, Who am I? No matter your prayer today, no matter your age or life stage, no matter what fears of inadequacy you may be facing, may you encounter God's almighty presence with you today. Let us worship together the God who sees us and meets us right where we are all of the years of our lives. Oh 
God, we come today saying, teach us to number our days so that we might live wisely and live well. Whether we are young or old or somewhere in between, this is a part of our prayer today. For we are in awe of you, God, and we know that you show us the true way to live wisely and live well. No matter our age, it is my hope that we may become peacemakers, relationship builders, justice bringers, resistors of evil, and joyful followers of you. Give us a nudge this morning to remember what is truly important and allow us to be reminded of our aim in life when we become consumed with the things of this world. Help us remember that just as you went before Moses and stayed with Moses, you go before us and stay with us also. May we be given courage to continue to live in a way that reflects your love and your steadfast presence. Amen. Upon the water, wherever you 
trust is without borders, let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my need could ever wander, and my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. I will call upon your name. for the children's message. Good morning. Good morning, friends. How is everybody doing? Everybody awake? Yeah. Well, these past few weeks, we've been talking about what it looks like to follow God in all the different stages of life. We talked about how God can speak to us through kids, just like you guys, just like he spoke through Samuel in the Bible. Then last week, who remembers what we, who we talked about? Teenagers. Do you remember the Bible story? A hint, he had a slingshot. Ah. <laughs> And he killed a giant with it. I forgot his name. Okay, David? <laughs> David. David, good job. Yes, we talked about David, yeah, and Goliath. And we talked about how even though David was young, God used his courage to defeat Goliath, even when no adult was brave enough to do it. You see, Samuel and David both followed God, but that's not always easy to do. Sometimes it can be kind of hard to follow God, right? Yeah, like sometimes we don't feel like being kind to our neighbors or obeying our parents. But you know what? If we ask God to help us follow him, he will. So one Bible verse that I want us all to remember to help guide us through all of life's seasons is Psalm 25, 4 through 5. So I'll read a couple of words and then you guys repeat after me. Okay? Can you do that? Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth, and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you, all day long. Psalm 25, 4 through 5. You guys sound great, man. You see, like this verse says, no matter what stage of life we are in, God is with us and wants us to know his truth and walk in his paths. Whether you're a kid in Sunday school or a teenager in the youth group or even a young adult like me, God cares about you and wants you to hope in him and trust him to show you how to live. As we go, I want you guys to be thinking about one way that you can trust God today. Okay, let's pray. 
Lord, thank you for this day and for this time to continue to think about how we can follow you and trust in you. We thank you for examples like Samuel and David and Moses and that we get to come to church and learn about these um, wonderful people and wonderful stories, Lord. And I pray that we would continue to seek you and to know you more. In your name I pray. Amen.
reading from Exodus chapters 3 and 4. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God, God called out to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppress them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, If I come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. Then Moses answered, But suppose they do not believe me or listen to me, but say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw the staff on the ground, and it became a snake, and Moses drew back from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, Reach out your hand and seize it by the tail. So he reached out his hand and grasped it, and it became a staff in his hand. So that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. But Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor even now that you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who gives speech to mortals? Who makes them mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to speak. But he said, O oh my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, What of your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know that he can speak fluently. Even now he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, his heart will be glad. 
You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you what you shall do. He indeed shall speak for you to the people. He shall serve as a mouth for you, and you shall serve as God for him. Take in your hand this staff with which you shall perform the signs. This is the word of the Lord. Discovering the different seasons of spirituality throughout life, as Jenny mentioned during the welcome. And this morning, we're specifically going to talk about young adulthood. Now, we recognize that each one of these seasons hits every one of us differently. We all have our own experiences. We all have different things that we walk through spiritually during the various seasons of our life. So this morning, rather than us try to just talk in broad ways about that, we wanted to interview some folks uh, who are walking through that season of life right now and maybe hear a little bit from them about how their spiritual life looks at this particular stage. So if you would, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us something that you really enjoy about this season of life. Um, my name's Amy Greaser. I'm a senior elementary education major at Baylor. Um, and something I really enjoy about this time of life is the opportunities. There's opportunities everywhere, and there's so many chances to learn and just grow and meet new people, and I really enjoy that. My name is Taylor Shippey. I'm a second-year student at Truett Seminary, studying to get my Master's of Divinity to hope, day, hope one day to become a pastor. And one thing I really like about this season of life is just the sense of independence and freedom it has about being an adult. Uh, when you're a child and a teenager, you're still very dependent on your parents or others for finances and lodging and food and things. But once you become a young adult, uh, you get that autonomy to be uh, who you want to be and be that person. And so that has its, uh, has its thrills and it's awesome to be. My name is Lorian Fleming and I'm really nervous. <laughs> um, I teach kindergarten. I'm going into my third year of teaching. And I've also been married for three years and some months. Um, and I really love that since I've sort of established my career a little bit, um, I've sort of figured out my balance between splitting my energy from career, relationships, church. And so I feel like I sort of have a hold on that now, kind of. <laughs> my name is Jeremy Cruz, and I definitely do not have a hold on that. Uh, but I've been married for uh, just over five years. Uh, I just finished my degree uh, a year ago, and I'm a year into my uh, career. Um, I have one child and a child on the way. Um, so it's kind of a chaotic time of life, uh, but it's one that's filled with joy, and that's a really unique combination. Uh, so I enjoy that most of the time. Absolutely. Well, before you pass that mic along, Jeremy, why don't you tell us just a little bit, each one of you, about something maybe you wish people knew about this particular stage of life or a challenge that you face in this stage of life? 
Yeah, once again, I mean, the, uh, this looks different for all of us, um, and it may be the same for other stages of life, but um, for me, this is the first season where friendships are really, really, really hard. Um, you know, going into college and going through college, um, you're spending time with your friends all the time, um, and you have that freedom and that flexibility. Um, grad school, that gets a little bit more difficult, but it's still possible. Um, and then after grad school, it feels like my relationships are predetermined for me. I mean, it's the people I work with and my family, and that's, that's it, because that's all the time you have. Um, so that's, that's been really difficult, a really difficult transition to find time um, to foster new relationships and relationships that are outside of my very busy routine. Um, I would say that it was hard getting here. Um, after you graduate, you're sort of done with a huge part of your life, and school is, you know, you go through it for your whole life. So when you graduate, it's like, who am I? I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't really know who I am. I have this degree, but what am I going to do with it? Um, so when Evan and I first moved to Waco, um, it was December, and I'm a teacher. So it's sort of awkward graduating in December. There weren't really positions that were open or, like, none that I, you know, thought I could jump into right away. Um, so I sort of had to make do, and I worked at Chick-fil-A, and I substitute taught, and it was just really hard being in a new place. It was just really lonely, um, and yeah, it was just a very hard period of life for me. I wish people knew there's, a, at least for me, uh, there's an inner anxiety about the future. Um, people often come up, and, and they innocently ask, you know, what's next? You know, you know what's next for you? And and it's difficult because sometimes we don't know. Um. The teacher's <laughs> mad at me. That's, that's what it is. Um, it's coming after me. Um, um, but as I was saying, it's, you know, a lot of times we're either waiting on a divine oracle from God or we, we just don't know. And so it's that fear. And for, for me right now, you know, I live my life on a, based on the academic calendar. You know, it tells me where I'm going to be and what I'm going to do. And then hopefully in a year when I graduate from seminary, it's going to end. And that next phase is that there's a fear of, you know, that taking that next leap of faith and to know what's next. And so uh, that, that fear about the future, I, I think, accompanies a lot of us young adults. Well, now I'm excited to graduate. But <laughs> 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 um, no, I am. But I think a time that's challenging is we really don't know what's next, like he said. And I think between that challenge of trying to manage social life and school and responsibilities and this like up and coming independence, as well as what's next, what's gonna happen after May, um, I think that's a big challenge, which, yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. Um, the last question we've kind of been asking each of the groups, and the one that I want to ask all of you is, how do we as Calvary, as a church family, come alongside you during this season of life? Um, I think a big thing for me is there are a lot of really awesome role models in this church that I look up to. I know Isaac look up, looks up to as well, um, and just kind of seeing and talking to y'all about how you manage this stage of life and how you've gotten to the place you are now, because you are phenomenal people, and we look up to you a lot. And I think starting that conversation, we want to talk to you. We think you're really cool. Um, <laughs> so I think that's an awesome way you can help. 
when I came to Calvary, one of the things I really loved was that it was very intergenerational. And so as she was speaking towards the older generation, uh, I keep thinking towards the younger generation. And I've been fortunate enough to be working in the kids' ministry doing VBS and various things over the last few months that I've been here. And one of the things that I love is just seeing the joy and the optimism that kids and teenagers have about living life and being in the moment. Because um, I feel like for me, I have times where the busyness of life and the craziness of life distracts me from just being in the moment in that time and just enjoying the blessings of living life that God's given me. I brought my tissue. I'm prepared. Um, so shortly after we joined Calvary, Evan and I um, started helping with the youth. So Calvary has helped me tremendously in that way. Um, like I said, it was a lonely period. Um, and y'all helped me. You didn't even know what I was going through. Um, but you were serious and you were silly and you loved me, and that's more than I could have ever asked for. It's exactly what I needed. So thank y'all. I love you so much. Uh, Calvary's been really good at this, uh, thinking in terms of the workplace uh, and hiring new positions. Uh, we often think in terms of longevity. Will this person stick around? Um, and at Calvary, when it comes to young adults, that's not really a question that's asked. It's expected that in somewhere between two and five years, these people will move on to other places. Um, and Calvary's been really good at investing in those people anyway, um, making them feel home, being the people of God to them in this place for however long that might be. Um, so that's an invaluable aspect of this community. So um, love the people who are here while they're here, as you do, uh, and keep doing that. Thank you all very much for sharing with us this morning. Oh, 
Now, gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts together in this place be found pleasing to you. O Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, following the release of Star Wars Episode One, Natalie Portman was accepted as an incoming student at Harvard University. But looking back, she later said of that experience, I felt like there had been some mistake, that I wasn't smart enough to be in this company, and that every time I opened my mouth, I would have to prove that I wasn't just some dumb actress. Maya Angelou once said, I have written 11 books, and every time I release a new one, I think, uh-oh. I've run a game on everyone, and they are going to find me out now. John Steinbeck was known for saying, I'm not a writer. I've been fooling myself and everyone else. Academy Award-winning actress Kate Winslet shared that she would wake up every morning before going to shoot a movie and think to herself, I can't do this. I'm a fraud. And Sheryl Sandberg, Chief Operating Officer at Facebook, says of her college experience, every time I was called on in class, I was sure that I was going to embarrass myself. Every time I took a test, I was sure that it had gone badly. And every time I didn't embarrass myself or even excelled, I believed that I had just fooled everyone yet again. And one day soon, the jig would be up. What all these people have in common is that they have all experienced to varying degrees what is known as the imposter syndrome. Psychologist Pauline Clance was the first to discover the imposter syndrome back in the 70s. 
In her work as a therapist, she began to notice a trend among undergraduate students. Even though they had high grades, they often commented that they didn't believe they actually deserved their spots at the university. Some of them even thought that their acceptance must have been some kind of admissions error. And while Clance knew that these fears were completely unfounded, she could also remember feeling the exact same way when she was in school. So together with her colleague, Suzanne Imes, Clance began to study the imposter syndrome in female college students and faculty. Their work discovered that these women experienced significant feelings of fraudulence, as if they couldn't possibly be good enough to be in the actual positions that they were in. And while the psychologists found that the imposter syndrome actually affects people across gender, race, age, and a variety of occupations, more recently it has been discovered to be especially prevalent among young adults or millennials, people between the ages of 23 and 38. In fact, it is believed that about 70% of young adults experience it. One article noted that while millennials are often criticized for their supposed self-assurance, researchers argue that this is not the case. Many of them regularly suffer from confidence gremlins, of a fear of being found out or being exposed on a regular basis. Another article added that while social media isn't necessarily causing the imposter syndrome, it is absolutely exacerbating it and intensifying status quo in which people are pressured to both succeed and reach their fullest potential while also always remaining authentic and embracing their imperfections is providing this ideal setting for the imposter syndrome to prevail. And so I wonder, in a room this size, how many of us would say that we have ever felt like an imposter? As if there's no way we are qualified to do the task that is before us. We might feel like a fake, that there must be some mistake in how we got here. And if other people really found out what we know to be true about ourselves, they would know that we are an imposter. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Well, if that's the case for you, then as we open Exodus 3 this morning, I believe we might find some familiar company. Because as I was reading Exodus 3 and 4 this week, it dawned upon me that Moses, one of the heroes of our faith story, seems to be experiencing the imposter syndrome when God calls him to go up against Pharaoh and to deliver the Israelite people from slavery in the land of Egypt. Now, I would imagine that when most of us think about Moses, we might think about this incredible moment when he is called by God at a burning bush, or we might think about Moses standing up to Pharaoh and leading the Israelites out of slavery. We would think of him raising his staff and parting the waters of the Red Sea, or meeting with God on the mountaintop and receiving the Ten Commandments. But when Moses comes to mind, we probably don't think about this moment when Moses says, I don't think I can do this, God. Send somebody else. 
just like we don't think about a strong woman like Maya Angelou being insecure, or of someone like John Steinbeck feeling incapable of being a true writer. It's a good reminder that we never know what people are actually carrying with them just beneath the surface. And so here at the beginning of chapter 3, when God calls out to Moses from the burning bush, we see Moses almost immediately respond with the confident words, Here am I, Lord. But just moments later, he begins to change his tune from here am I to who am I. And we don't often focus on the almost 40 verses that follow this epic burning bush moment where Moses comes up with just about one excuse after the other of why he doesn't think he's cut out for the job. He says things like, what if the Israelites ask questions about how exactly all this is going to go down? What am I supposed to say to them? Or what if my elders don't believe me? What if they don't listen to me? What if I'm not a strong enough speaker to get the words across? I get nervous with my words and they sometimes get jumbled. What if I can't say things correctly? For those of us who study the Enneagram, Moses sounds like a signature Enneagram 6. Worst case scenario planning one possibility after another after another. And yet as many excuses as Moses makes... What amazes me is that God responds to every single one. In fact, God speaks directly to Moses in this text 13 times. So often I would love just one word from God. That would be great for the day. And Moses gets 13. But I love what Old Testament scholar Terence Fretheim writes about this interaction. He says, God's responses reveal one who takes Moses' concerns with the utmost seriousness, and with uncommon patience. God does not have a take-it-or-leave-it attitude. God is open to disagreement, argument, and even challenge on Moses' part. God is clearly the authority, but God's approach to Moses is non-authoritarian in nature. It's more than a divine patience. It's an openness to consider seriously what Moses has to say. And it's such an important reminder of how deeply God desires to be in relationship with us. We don't follow a my way or the highway kind of God. God cares even when we disagree or challenge what God is doing, and God graciously responds. However, despite the generous way that God interacts with Moses for most of these 40 verses, Moses comes up with one excuse after the other until finally he says, I don't think I can do this, God. Send somebody else. Now we can critique Moses all we want, but the reality is that you and I probably would have done the exact same thing. In fact, when I look back on some of the times when I have sensed God calling me to take a next brave step in my life, my initial response is almost always to begin with listing all the reasons why that just won't work. I still remember my first trip to Waco. I had rented a car with my dad and was anxiously driving down University Park's drive. I was absolutely overwhelmed by what appeared to be the giant campus of Baylor University. 
compared to where I went to school with 1,200 students. And I actually made a whole loop around campus and couldn't even find Truett Seminary, not knowing I was driving right past it every single time. And I thought to myself, who am I that I think I could come halfway across the country to go to a school like this? I can never find my way around here. It's just too big. And I specifically remember telling my dad within moments of being here, I can't do this, Dad. Or I've had conversations with so many friends who are preparing to have a baby. I express similar kinds of fears about bringing a tiny little human into the world. They've said things like, who am I that I think I could keep another human being alive? I can barely keep myself going. What if something happens and I don't know what to do? I mean, if the hospital knew how vastly underprepared I am for this, they would not let me take this baby home. I just don't think I can do this. Our friends who are starting a new job often feel vastly underprepared for the task ahead of them. They feel as if they are just playing dress up. And if someone finds out how ill-equipped they actually are, they might not make it. I've often said of my own experience that entering the season of young adulthood is similar to the feeling of the training wheels coming off your bike or the bumper guards being lifted from the bowling lane, making you always susceptible to falling off or rolling in the gutter. You see, for about 20 years of your life up until this point, you've had these boundaries in place to keep you where you need to be. And while some of that may have been annoying at times, there was also something that felt safe and secure about it. There were rhythms and routines that brought familiarity and structure to life, whether that meant you knew where you were going to be in school for certain hours of the day or for certain years of your life. You knew you were going to have a summer break. You knew your life was going to follow the rhythm of the academic calendar, like Taylor mentioned. You knew you had a place to live or dinner with family at night. You had some sort of guardrails in your life. And then suddenly the training wheels are taken away and the bumper guards are lifted. No one is setting the boundary lines for you anymore and you can go wherever you want, which is both exhilarating and absolutely terrifying. Because I think there's something within us that just so desperately wants to know the big picture of our lives. How long are you going to live in this place? Are you going to have a job? Are you going to be able to pay your bills or have health insurance? What happens when your car breaks down unexpectedly? What if you don't have a car yet? If you're dating, are you going to end up with this person and how do you know? And what happens when you're dating and all of a sudden you break up and you thought you were going to spend the rest of your life with this person? How do you put the pieces back together again? Maybe you have a baby and that suddenly changes everything. Or you desperately want to have a child only to discover a process of hopefulness and heartbreak over and over and over again. And what if life doesn't look at all like you thought it would and you don't know which way to turn or what to do next? You see, life would be so much easier and so much less anxiety producing if we just had answers to even a fraction of these questions. But hashtag adulting teaches us that life doesn't work that way. We often don't get the five to ten year plan from God 
But I do think if we are listening, I believe that God will show us the next step forward. Because when Moses asks God how all of this is supposed to work, God says in chapter 3, verse 14, I am who I am. One scholar translates these words in the following way to say, I will be God to you. He says the force is not simply that God is or that God is present, but that God will be faithfully God for him. And so if you're a young adult in this room and you're in the midst of a shifting season of not knowing what's next, or if you feel as if there's no way you can do what is in front of you right now, know this, that God will faithfully be God for you every step of the way. And if you're not a young adult in this room, know this, the young adults in our midst need us to faithfully be the family of God for them in this place however long they are in this place. Because they can feel as if they are in the most unstable and most unpredictable season of life for any of us. Even looking at our faith family here at Calvary, our young adult community is probably the most transient community in the whole church, as Jeremy mentioned. We constantly have new young adults coming in, and we are constantly having to say goodbye to those we've grown to love when God calls them somewhere new. And because of that unpredictability, we need you all the more. One of my favorite relationships to watch at Calvary over the years has been between one of our college students and one of our senior adults. Jess Hastings was a senior in college, and Doris Norris was well into her 90s. Jess was interning with us for a semester, and I expected her to want to be part of our college class, but she insisted on being in the intergenerational class, and she said the reason was Doris Norris. Jess would actually get to church early, which if you've noticed at Calvary, no one does, (laughs) just so that she could snag a seat by Doris Norris, which was evidently the most coveted seat in the whole Sunday school class. You see, in the midst of the stress of her senior year as an engineering major, applying for jobs after graduation and planning a wedding, Doris brought Jess so much encouragement and a sense of family and a sense of home. At a time when Jess could feel the ground shifting beneath her, I believe that Doris helped to ground her in God's unfailing love for her. Jess is now married and living in Austin, but I still get texts from her that say, you're never going to believe who called me tonight, Doris Norris. (laughs) And I can't help but wonder what other Doris Norris and Jess Hastings combos there may be out there among us who both need to give to and receive from one another by God's grace. Because the truth is, Calvary, that we need each other. No matter what age we are, I don't know that we are ever going to stop feeling insecure about our lives or unqualified for what God is calling us to do next. In 2015, Natalie Portman was invited back to Harvard to be the commencement speaker at graduation. 
12 years after she had graduated. At that point, she was an Academy Award-winning actress, having received the Oscar for Best Actress in her performance in Black Swan. And yet, as she began her speech, she said, I have to admit that today, even 12 years after graduation, I am still insecure about my own worthiness. Today, I feel much like I did when I came to Harvard Yard as a freshman, like there had to have been some mistake that I wasn't smart enough to be in company like this. You see, I don't know that feelings of being an imposter ever go away. But even though Moses asked God to send someone else, we know from the chapters that follow that he ultimately chose to take that next step forward. Author Kathy Kang writes, God knows that Moses has imposter syndrome, but essentially gives him no room to back out. God enlists the help of Moses' brother Aaron as a wingman, reminds Moses that his shepherd's staff has superpowers, and pushes Moses out of the wilderness. And Moses went. You know, he didn't know the rest of the story. He had so many questions about if and how it was going to work out. And honestly, if he had known, if he had really known all that was ahead of him, that there would be rivers of blood and plagues of frogs and long periods of darkness and loss of infant lives and years and years of wandering aimlessly in the wilderness, would Moses ever have gone? Perhaps it is best that we see but through a glass dimly as we read in 1 Corinthians. Because if any of us knew the full journey ahead of us, would we ever have the courage to take that next step? But friends, wherever you are on your journey, know this. Just as God was to Moses, God will faithfully be God to you. May we all be so brave as to take that next step forward, trusting that when we do, God will meet us there. And so, God, I ask that in these moments, you would give us courage about what that next step forward needs to look like for us. In the moments when we feel unworthy, in the moments when we feel like an imposter, at the times when we think, God, I just can't do this. Pick somebody else. God, remind us that you are there. You hold us in your righteous right hand. You will never leave us and never forsake us. And you came to be with us always to the very end of the age. And so God, be with us now. Amen. Well, maybe for you, God is calling you to take that next step forward in following Jesus. Or coming to be part of our faith community here at Calvary, where we seek to follow Jesus together. Maybe you want to pray with one of our ministers about a way in which you feel like an imposter for the courage to follow God even when you feel unprepared. However God is leading you to respond this morning, our ministers will be in the back of the sanctuary ready to receive you and to pray with you as we continue in worship.
praises and now we bring our gifts may our giving be as joyful as our praises have been may we give with generosity and glad affection for you I pray that all you see here our giving and everything else that is done in this place be so pleasing to you that this morning you dance over us with joy in your son's name I pray, amen.
so many newcomers with us today. I hope everyone will look around you as you leave today, and if you recognize someone you don't know, introduce yourself and get to know them. If you are new to Calvary, we would love for you to fill out that visitor card in the pew in front of you if you haven't yet, and John, our associate pastor, I think he's waving back there, would love to grab that from you in the welcome center as you leave today. We are excited that this week our Wednesday night activities are returning. Um, and all of our activities, children's, youth, different book studies, will be starting at 6. I know last year some of the children's activities started at 545, and I think that was just pretty challenging for families. And so we are listening to that feedback and starting everything at 6. This week we do have a series, especially for parents, on how to help your children and youth engage in worship. Randall and Jenny will be leading this first session for parents of children and parents of children of all ages, regardless of whether your children are in the worship service or not. We'd love for you to participate. And then Allie and Eric Holliman will be leading this first session for parents of youth. And so we hope you'll join us for that. We shared last week at ministry conference that our staff has had a dream of what it could look like to reimagine some meals on Wednesday nights by having a food truck on the first Wednesday night of the month. We are working on that, and we need some time to keep working on that to figure out <laughs> logistics and, and how that could work. So for this first Wednesday, we are going to have Chick-fil-A for everybody. Uh, we will start serving that at 5 o'clock. And first come, first serve, $5 a person and no more than $20 a family. Um, we're actually going to bring the food in John's truck, so it still counts as food truck Wednesday. So it's going to be great. <laughs> uh, but we really hope you'll join us for our kickoff. Oh, that was, I don't even know if you meant to do that, but that was, that was awesome. And then last, if you are a young adult, uh, our young adults are actually having a barbecue Saturday night at 5 p.m. at Tiffany and Chris Rose's house. I can't see if, oh, Tiffany's back there waving her hand. If you are new to Calvary, I know we have lots of young adults here for the first time. I know Tiffany and Chris would love to talk to you um, and invite you to come to that. They ask for you to bring a side, and kids are welcome. Well, please join me in this benediction as we are dismissed. Friends, may the God who calls you from this place journey with you as you go. May God delight in you with joy, bringing unimagined graces. Walk with you in darkness, shining lights along your way. May God be close to you in pain, giving strength for every moment, and comfort you in fear, granting courage to be brave. May God's love surround you, may Christ's mercy astound you, and may the Spirit abound in you so that you live in the fullness of the God who is with us always. Amen.
peace and stay forever young. Amen.